is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Conversations with Sarudi. I'm back again with Kyle Reese of Birds on the Black, and we are here talking prospects. This is going to be a fun episode tonight. Um, we are talking Kyle Reese's Dirty 40. We are talking five guys who, I'm not going to lie, two of them I'm really excited about, and three of them kind of make this list actually the least excited I am to talk about them. So I'm hoping Kyle can change my mind on a few guys. Um, I could very well be wrong. Of course, uh, I hope I'm wrong in that assessment. I hope all five of these guys end up exciting me in the long term here, but um, it's the one group where I think, you know, only a couple of these guys might see significance or semi-significant time with the big league club. Um, and that, that's where my, where my lack of excitement exists. So I'm going to try to stay upbeat and Kyle's going to help me bring the excitement today. Um, we're going to start with one of the guys I'm excited about. Um, we are talking about five guys tonight, numbers 35 through 31 in the organization, uh, or in, in, in the minors for Kyle on his list. Uh, by the way, before I do that, Kyle, welcome into the show, by the way. <laughs> Hello, Ben. It's almost like we didn't just record an episode, and it's like we're not going straight from one to the other. Uh, yeah, it is kind of like that. Uh, I, I almost want to delete that and try again. Um, <laughs> but I won't. Here we go. So uh, thank you for joining me again. Uh, this will be uh, this will be fun, uh, whether, whether I'm excited or not. So number 35, uh, to go over the five all at once here, is a right-handed pitcher in the organization named Alec Willis. Number 34 is another right-handed pitcher named Dionys, or is that right, Rodriguez? Who knows? Okay, number 33 uh, no, is, as, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, that's what I believe it is, yes. Okay, 34, Dionys Rodriguez. Number 33 is an outfielder uh, named Connor Capel, and uh, for those of you looking these up on Baseball Reference or Fan Graphs as we do this, um, he spells his C-O-N-N-E-R, as, Connell, as Kyle pointed out in his write-up, and he's the only Connor in the Cardinal system that's an E-R at the end, not an O-R. That actually helped me tremendously, Kyle, so I appreciate that. Um, number, 32 is a, <laughs> number 32 is a first baseman slash outfielder, Todd Lott. And number 31 is a right-handed pitcher named Wilfredo, no, yes, Wilfredo Pereira. Um, at number 35 is where we will start uh, 35 on your dirty flirty we have right handed pitcher Alec Willis in uh, your write up of him what intrigues me about him is that you describe him as a prep arm that's already a pitcher and not a thrower basically is how I read that at least 
to that, I have to say, yes, please tell me more. And I'm kind of, uh, right now that Jack Nicholson nodding gif that, that that's what I'm feeling right now for Alec Willis. So, uh, either wipe the smirk off my face or, or keep me nodding. Yeah, maybe we should, uh, with Willis here, we should probably preface that Willis is the product of a change that we had to make to the Dirty 35 late. Uh, when we initially released the Dirty 35, all of these prospects were one, from here on out, were one step lower than where they are. So, Dionis Rodriguez, uh, he was 35. He's 34 now. And the reason we had to make this change was because Nick Plummer was my number eight prospect, uh, and the Cardinals are stupid. Uh, and so now Nick Plummer is a part of the Mets. And uh, I had to move everybody up a, mo- a notch. Now, Alec Willis was one of my six men out. Uh, and I did a little fancy thing where I wrote him up and I told why and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And you might ask yourself, well, how does a guy go from being the de facto number 41 prospect to being the number 35 prospect, skipping prospects 40 through 36 in the process? And the answer is, uh, as we talked last podcast and as I've talked a lot, there is kind of a cluster of prospects in a certain range that are kind of in my mind, the same type of weighted value. And it's just a matter of uh, uh, how you want to profess your love for that weighted value. And my apprehension with putting Alec Willis on the Dirty 35 in the first place was, A, I wanted to tell a cautionary tale about um, uh, a prep arm, and I wanted us to maybe approach his his prospect status with a little bit of, of caution. But also... The reason he can make that jump is because there are still a lot of questions about the guys behind him now at 35. Um, And and also there's an argument to be made probably that he's a top 25 prospect in the organization based on his, his, his inherent skill set. But so that now that gives us our, our 35th prospect prep arm prep righty, Alec Willis, who the Cardinals drafted in the seventh round and had to go way over slot to sign. This isn't a seventh round arm. Uh, this is a $1 million bonus kid. This is uh, That would make him like a third round pick, I believe, right? A third, 2.2, 1, 1, 1, 3. That would make him a third round pick. Um, uh, sorry. Good job, Rain, Rain Man. Man. Hi, Rain Man. Both at the same time we knew what was going on there. Um, so, yeah, that makes him basically, in fact, a third round pick that the Cardinals drafted in the seventh round. That should give you some idea of how talented this kid has the potential to be. Uh Part of the reason I wanted to uh, exercise a little bit of optimism or a little bit of a, a caution with him is because he is coming off and he's pitching. Uh, he shows no ill effects of it, but he had that Seth Manis surgery. Uh, not the Tommy John, but the the minor Tommy John. He's undergone that. He, he's already one surgery deep, but he shows no ill effects of it. And, you know, when you're younger, they say that you can, you can recover quicker, you recover better. So there's a lot of positives there. Uh, so what I did is I just decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to stop being uh, protective daddy with Willis, which is pretty much what kept him off of the top 40 prospects. And I, I put him in a spot that I felt comfortable with uh, without being overly aggressive. So that's why he's here. Um, it's just from like a, a pitching profile standpoint, when he's healthy, he's throwing a slider that uh, uh, is 82-85, a fastball that's 92-96, but a slider that has a chance to be a well-above-average pitch, if not plus, if not plus-plus, with command of a fastball and slider 
and a changeup that is developing. If the changeup is further along the lines, he'd be higher up the list. I feel more comfortable jumping him even more. Uh, but right now, it's a fastball slider combo that, with the polish and command that he has, that I mean that I bring up when I say that he's more of a pitcher than a lot of other prep arms are. So again, if you listen to last episode, I ended the podcast talking about how Kyle, I believe, has taken taken that restraint that he usually shows to to a level that that maybe he hasn't seen before. And I think Alec Willis is a case in point on that. Alec Willis is a guy who, if fan graphs, if fan graphs is to be believed, he has thrown five pitches in the organization. He got three batters out on five pitches in his only inning he got to throw this year. Um Alec Willis is also a guy who he will turn 19 right about at the beginning of the season. Uh, I guess if he'll if he's going to be in in rookie ball or or low A or it's probably a month or so or two months before the season starts. But right before the season starts, he's not even just going to turn 19. Um, and so that's kind of that 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 restraint that Kyle has, despite loving that he has pitchability, despite loving his fastball, despite loving his slider, despite believing he has command of a changeup, even though it, maybe the shape or maybe the the type of changeup isn't quite there yet. Um, his changeup, real fast, just to interject there, uh, the changeup isn't there yet. That that is another big area. Like it's not it's not command. It's all of it. It's command. It's shape. It's consistency. It's keeping his arm speed up. Uh, that's part of the reason why he's down. But keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. No, no. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying. Um, despite all that, he's a guy who you can hear in his voice. Kyle wanted him on this list. And and that restraint he showed by keeping him off until the Cardinals' stupidity clicked in with Plummer leaving. Um, we will mm-hmm. get to that more in our seventh episode of the year when the Number eight prospect, the new number eight prospect is unveiled. That should have been Nick Plummer. Um, anything else you want to tell us about Mr. Willis before we move to Mr. Rodriguez? Uh, you know, the last thoughts about Alec Willis, uh, you, you nailed it. He'll be 19 to start the year. He has a great frame. Uh, you know, some scouting service had him, some scouting services had him at like six foot. That's old, old information. Uh, he, he's He's 6'5". I, I heard 6'5 is a little bit of a stretch. He's probably closer to 6'4". Um, but he's a big kid with a great frame that's meant to put on more weight, but he's not like he has a good body weight on his frame already. And he he repeats his mechanics pretty well, except for slowing down his arm a little bit when he throws his change up. And he, there's there's no wasted motion. There's no wasted movement. There's, there's nothing fancy about his motion. He's a no-frills pitcher. And... I don't feel like the Cardinals have had that out of a prep arm in a long time. You know, no disrespect to Jake Woodford. Obviously, we all love Jack Flaherty. Um, uh, you know, some others along the lines, but that there, there's something that's just a pitchability to Alec Willis that that I really admire. Where you know, again, Jack Flaherty was a whole different beast. You could see the potential. You could see that, like next step you could see it all uh uh in just the raw skills you know willis doesn't have that but he has a steady maturity about the way he pitches very cool um we're gonna deviate from plan a little bit here and 
I want you to actually talk a little bit about right-handed pitcher Dianis Rodriguez before I give anything else about this this time. So at number 34 on your dirty flirty, we have Dianis Rodriguez. I'll introduce him statistically, but then I want to ask questions after you've kind of outlaid his profile a little bit. So he's a guy who has been in the Cardinals system since 2018. Uh, at 2018 and 2019, he was in uh, either foreign or or stateside rookie ball. This year, he jumped to uh, A ball down in Palm Beach at age 20. He threw nearly 70 innings, um, 12 games started, 10 games in relief. We talked about last episode how a lot, especially the, the foreign-born guys, the Caribbean kids, as you call them, um, are kids that they split their time to control their innings, to manage their innings. Um, he's a guy who struck out um, – 30% of batters faced, walked less than 8% of batters faced, had a 4.0 K to walk. He's a guy who kept hitters under a 200 average, had a whip of just over one, um, a FIP in the mid threes, a mid to low threes. So a lot to like about this kid. Can you give us a little about his pitch mix and a little bit about him before I ask you more pointed questions? Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, he's got good size. He's just typical six two, uh, you know, uh, frame exactly like what you would imagine out of a pitcher that's six foot two. Um, throws a fastball ninety two ninety six. Throws a slider eighty two eighty six. A changeup eighty six eighty seven. So his changeup has a little bit more heat on it. Um, the the pitch that's really tough to get a feel for is his cutter. Now, when you talk to people in the industry, they'll tell you that his cutter is his best secondary pitch and his cutter is different than a slider and his fastball so that's that it's a tough pitch to get a gauge on uh and it mixes really well with his fastball now sometimes that cutter can go flat but it still has enough late life that it's deceptive and it can get by hitters especially at that level but there probably wasn't a bigger pop-up prospect in the Cardinals organization than Rodriguez than Dionis here and uh, all of the stats bear that out and his, you know, from from my understanding, all of his measurables are there. And he's probably, you know, potentially of all the Caribbean kids, uh, Caribbean pitchers we're going to end up talking about on this list, even, you know, even more so than Malcolm Nunez down or uh, uh, yeah, Edwin Nunez down the road, um, even more so than him. Like he's this is probably the guy you're going to want to keep an eye on and, and your eye on his name, maybe more so than any of the rest. Um it all came together for him, which is really interesting, too, because the Cardinals held him back at spring training. He wasn't there in May uh, when they played Bradenton, and uh, there isn't a whole lot of video or scouting reports on him anywhere, and really, there isn't a whole lot of data or information on him anywhere. So uh, if you want to talk about a kid that you want to you want to champion as a sleeper prospect that you're on the, the cusp of before anyone else, it's probably him, although... He's already become that prospect, and you're probably going to start hearing his name uh, more than just your average sleeper prospect. All right, baseball savant, since I know you're listening to this lonely Cardinals podcast, uh, get that data out there for minor leaguers. No. Um, So you explain quite clearly, he's a guy that everybody should be excited about. Um, There's a video that you embedded from Prospects Live's Joe Drake. Hey, shout out, friend of the pod there. Um, Yeah. In that video, in the article you wrote up on Birds on the Black, I could see a fastball that he was not afraid to bring inside to right-handed hitters. I thought it had good, good hard action to it. That's the pitch I was most impressed, impressed with. Um, however, with 
how little you've seen of Rodriguez, I thought this might be a good time to talk about a couple of things that you did in the article. Uh, the first thing is, I'll give you both and you can touch on whichever you want first, but uh, your process, your process regarding those like high excitement process prospects that you haven't seen a lot of. So your process regarding high excitement prospects that you haven't seen a lot of. And then the second thing is just the connections in the baseball scouting community, amateur or otherwise, and prospects live um, that you've kind of incorporated more this year, I feel like. Can you touch on those two things before we move on to our 33rd prospect? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, over the years, I, uh, you know, I've, I've never been particularly good at giving other people my thoughts or uh, I don't know, maybe the best way of putting it is it's a tough thing for me to articulate. Right. So I've, I've always prided myself in giving you my evaluations of players, but the tough thing is if you don't watch those kids and you're not actually giving your evaluation of that player, um, over the years, I've been fortunate enough that at Palm Beach and at Peoria and Springfield and Memphis, I've made connections with people that send me videos of these kids. Uh, uh, that's kind of what separates maybe some of my evaluations from evaluations of other people who write about Cardinals prospects. Uh, so w- with that in mind, it's tough for me with a kid like Dionis Rodriguez, who I have only seen that, this one video from Jake Drake that everyone has access to. Or, uh, I always want to call him Jake Drake. I don't know why I say that. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, again, it's alliterative. It sounds yeah. good. Uh, it's exactly. I'm I'm just an idiot is what I am. Uh, uh, but no, <laughs> for, mis- for Mr. Joe Drake, um, I have that video. And then I have some video from other people, both uh, uh, fans who just go down there and take video. And then some from, from other people in the scouting community. Um, I, I think what ends up happening a lot of times when you're talking about prospects you just get recycled evaluations. Uh, and it's because it's not easy to get video to see these kids uh, unless it's your full-time job. And even the people who have the full-time job of going and seeing these kids, they don't really get to like, Im- you know, they're not on the front lines with these kids. So they, they only get to see the taste of what they're seeing when they're seeing it. Uh, so with someone like with Rodriguez here, I am practicing, uh, you know, I, it doesn't seem fair for me to say, oh, this guy's the number 20th prospect and the number 20 prospect in the organization. He held hitters to a sub 200 batting average. He struck out above 30 people while walking about seven people, uh, 7% of people. Like all of the stats are there that make him more of a prospect than the number 35 on some douchebag from St. Louis's list. Uh, it's the other things that I want to see before I see enough to move him up to feel like he would be the number 20 prospect on my list, not everyone else's number 20 prospect that I'm filtering into my list. Um, and, and over the years, I, I've i always been that way, but over the years, I've gotten more and more that way. And I think I'm just finally adult enough to want to talk about it in a very open uh, way. You know, normally it's not something that I can articulate. I mean, you've seen when I started this, I was so I did such a poor job of articulating what I wanted to say. Uh, And it's just it's it's one of those things where if you don't if you don't say it, you're not saying it. Uh, It's in your head and you have the idea in your head and you're trying to convey it without saying it. And now I'm just I'm just saying it because I found the words and the comfort that come with saying it. Awesome. Uh, and then the second part about um, connections and other scouting community in the scouting community. Look, I, I don't know how to answer that. Um, uh, <laughs> what I will say is 
I'm I'm very fortunate that um I I don't know. I'm just very fortunate. I got I've got nothing else to go on there because nothing else makes sense. Uh, away from that, I would also one more time like to point our audience in the direction of Prospects Live. Um, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. They have a Patreon you need to subscribe to support prospects live. You know, uh, one of their co-founders, um, uh, just went to, um, Jeff Pontus just went to, um, uh, um, baseball America and the work he's done at baseball America is better than anything that baseball America has been doing for years. And baseball America has been doing amazing things for years, just to give you an idea of how good Jeff is. Uh, and that's all they do at prospects live. Um, so, uh, that's that's not to say that like they're my insiders or my industry insiders because they're not. Um, it's just to say that like the amount of respect that I have for them, it's not it's not artificial in any way. It's it's real and I think important and an important resource for anybody who considers themselves interested in prospects. Um, and it, it's one of the few sites uh, and group of people that I feel like. Every fan from every corner can reach out to and have an honest dialogue about any prospect, regardless of who on Prospects Live you're talking with. And that's something that I've always prided myself in doing. So there's a kinship that comes with that. So to build off that, Jeff Pontes, who who's the guy, one of the guys that helped start Prospects Live and, and moved to Baseball America, as Kyle said, back in August, um, he had some Twitter thread just talking about the Cape Cod League. Um, and he's a guy who he wouldn't know me from anybody listening to this podcast, even on Twitter. He wouldn't know me from anybody. I'm just one of his, however many follows. And back in August, he had a, I'm looking right now, a 25 minute long conversation, DM conversation with me about just different guys in the Cape Cod league and different teams in the Cape Cod League and different players in the Cape Cod League because I just had some random questions about these guys. And I mean, we're talking not like a delayed 25 minute where there's like eight or 10, you know, things I, like it. It's probably 40 DMs each in 25 minutes, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And this is a guy who he didn't have to take his time out of his schedule to do that. And Every single prospects live writer that I've ever talked to, it's been the same way. They all will give you their time and their effort. I've had two of them on this podcast, Matt Thompson, who helped start it, Joe Drake. Um, they're, they're just, they're, they're good people and their content is ridiculously, uh, ridiculously good. Just high talent there. I love it too. Um, all right. Our 33rd prospect in your dirty 30, dirty 40, sorry, is honestly a prospect that I screw up all the time. So I'm just going to own up to this. So when I hear the name Connor Capel, you remember back to uh, Mike O'Neill? Of course, man. I write about Mike O'Neill a lot. Go on. Okay. So I keep on thinking he's the second coming of Mike O'Neill. So Mike O'Neill, for those of you that don't remember, he's a dude who he would throw up a season of like a 410 on base percentage and have a slugging like under 380, like a slugging like 30, 40, 50 points under his on-base percentage somehow because he had that little pop, like multiple seasons in a row. Based on your write-up, Connor Capel is not that guy. Um, he's basically the complete 180 from that guy. Yeah. Tell us a little 
a little bit about Connor Kaplan. Set me straight. Yeah, you know, I think the first line, or maybe one of the first lines I have in the write-up, is the nature of writing about prospects is interesting, right? Because if I told you that uh, I know for a fact, like say I had a time machine and I came back right now and I said, hey, look, uh, for two years, Connor Capel was a really great fifth outfielder. Uh, You'd be like, you you made that guy your number 33 prospect? And I say, no, I made him 34. And then the Cardinals traded or let Nick Plummer go. Uh, but then I made him 33 after that. So, yes, you're right. Um, but uh, I would say yes. Uh, but, you know, this also gives us perspective. A lot of times I, I'm trying too hard to give perspective. And I think Connor Capel and his candidacy for a top prospect in the Cardinals organization allows us to have uh, a chance to look at what a top 35 prospect in the organization or a prospect between 30 and 35 in any organization has a realistic chance of being and how valuable and important that is to an organization. Like right now, the Cardinals don't have a whole lot of outfield depth. They went from having a ton of outfield depth to not having any outfield depth. Uh, uh, And it's, you know, they've got Alec Burleson, who is not really major league ready. Um, Nothing against him. We love him. You're going to find out about him as we talk about Nick Plummer, uh, because he's now in Nick Plummer's spot. Spoiler alert. Uh, but, you know, but then all they really have now is Connor Capel. Like that's, that's it. And he's rule five draft eligible. They, he won't get taken. And if he does, holy cow. Uh, but they went from having like a high and maybe Scott Hurst, who I do not view as anything more than a double a player, but the Cardinals don't, um, uh, they don't really have a whole lot of outfield depth. So Connor Capel plays a very important role in the organization if he makes it through the Rule 5 draft, which may or may not happen now. No one really knows what's going to happen there. That That's all contingent on a lockout and when baseball works their way through a lockout. But he's just a really solid defensive outfielder with a really great arm if he's unloading on it. Sometimes he tries to get too cute with it and he doesn't unload and it's a, like terrible. Um, but when he unloads, his accuracy is good. His arm strength is good. He can run around in center field pretty well. He's a really great right fielder who has tremendous power and a very short swing, short arm swing uh, from the left-hand side, who has done a tremendous amount of work to get better against left-handed pitchers uh, while stabilizing a strikeout rate and increasing his walk rate. Uh, he's prone to like getting on base in like eight straight at-bats and then not getting on base for like 25 straight at-bats. Uh, and, and then having like spells where he's really good for three games and then kind of should be a number eight hitter for a month. But then he's like legitimate lights out for five games where he's hitting home runs to all fields with short little compact tight swings. Um, he's just like, if with your 33rd or 34th overall pick, I'm sorry, Ben, with your 33rd or 34th overall prospect, if you can get two or three seasons of, 50 to 100 at bats, then that's actually a really good prospect. And more than likely, that's what Counter Capel is. But with the with the progressions that he's made, both his strikeout and walk rate uh, and his contact rate uh, and fighting off pitches and trying to hit him to the opposite field, there is more here uh, that maybe just hasn't manifested yet or might not ever manifest. So that's why he's here. He's boring. I hate him. He needs to spell his name with an O instead of an E. And I'm tired of it. Question for you. 2020. If 2020 happened, there was no pandemic. Is this your same write-up on Lars Newtbar? No. 
No, Lars Newbar was okay. never going to be a major. Lars Newbar, Lars Newbar, regardless of what anyone says, uh, was never going to be a major leaguer. Without that twenty twenty break, he was the twenty twenty break. As bad as it was for so many people, uh, it was also great for a couple. And Nick Plummer was okay. one of them. Delvin Perez was another one. Uh, 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 Lars Newbar was another one. Yeah, and okay. there's, there's a couple of a couple of Connor Lund. I think I think it was good for Connor Lund, somebody we talked about last. Uh, you know, last. Uh, last podcast uh, i think it was good for a couple people but i don't know how great it was at, on, on a whole especially for the pitchers in the organization but that's the right right story. right right or, or anybody in the world hardly yeah um okay i just had that random thought the way you were describing capel uh for most of that okay um let's move on to the number 32 prospect then number 32 prospect is a guy who Ironically, I know very little about, but I, I feel like with what I have written here, I have a lot to say about him. Um, so you wrote in your article on the number 32 prospect in the system that Todd Lott, who is a first baseman slash outfielder, um, is a bit old for his league. He didn't light it up there, but he could move up your list in a hurry with a couple of subtle changes. Now, Lott's a guy that statistical, a statistical dig might kind of undervalue it seems he did go to a sunbelt college he was a good hitter there but not to go overboard and say he was great the plus is that he did improve each year he went through college then he was slightly old for his league in 2019 in rookie ball uh finishing up he, he had played a collegiate season that year so he just finished in rookie ball he struggled at the plate in rookie ball then he had to sit a year out because of covid and then he came back again in palm beach this year and he was old for his league he lit up Palm Beach pretty well, which is really tough to do in that uh, in that ballpark. Um, and, and that's something that Kyle is somebody who watches games closely, yeah. and 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 you know that as well as anybody that Palm Beach is is really tough to not only hit well but hard to get a chance to watch those games. So I'm assuming you didn't get to see him lighting up that level very much. But I think the thing that gets me again is he struggled again when he moved up, which isn't uncommon. But his walk rate dropped in half. His K rate dropped by a quarter. This kind of scares me if a guy that who hasn't hit in the upper level of minors is already older for his league, has some big-time trouble with breaking pitches, which is what you wrote in the write-up. But you and Brian Walton and guys at Cardinal Nation both have him pretty high up on your list. Uh, Cardinal Nation just named him as the emerging hitter of the year. Oh, really? So walk me... So walk me through your thinking and or, or their potential thinking maybe here. of Was he just pressing when he hit high Peoria? Uh, what's the case here and how is he all the way up at 32 if you've talked about 99 guys over the course of the last month over at Birds on the Black? Yeah, for me, you know, I, I'm very simple. Sometimes I love just raw, serious, uh, manifesting power. Uh, and that's what this kid is. Yeah, uh, Todd Lott has a very short swing uh, that's very quiet and very compact and he can do probably more with a short small light swing uh, a half swing than maybe a lot of other guys in the organization could do and i love that swing uh, i love the fact that you know after a maybe you know I, I don't remember the exact number and i probably should have looked it up uh, ben but i would say after his first 10 games at peoria he again, he's always going to strike out and he's never going to walk. So that's, that's a big issue. It's a huge issue. You know, maybe, maybe he makes some changes there, but once you get back to the last 10 games, he hits the ball so damn hard 
that his his BABIP is sustainable because of how hard he hits the ball. So I, I could be wrong, but I think once you sort out those like last those first ten games at Peoria, which might have been over three weeks, uh, might have been over two weeks, more than likely, but might have been over three weeks. He had a high average. Uh, strikeout rate was still above 30, probably like 35% and a walk rate that was like 0.001. But he just has, he runs into extra base hits. He runs into power and there's something more there. Now he, he needs to make more contact. There's no getting around that, Uh, but he's also a really good defensive first baseman and a really good defensive outfield uh, outfielder with pretty great speed. And he's just like a raw tools kind of kid with power that is going to play at every level, uh, regardless of his age. And it's going to sound crazy, but I value that. Um, Again, I'd value it more if he struck out less, even if the walkout, even if the walk rate wasn't up, I'd value it a lot more if he struck out less. I think at some point during his write-up, I say, if he can just get that thing down, his strikeout rate down to like 28 to 30%, like that's, that is a viable fourth or fifth outfielder in the long run, Uh, depending on how many home runs he's hitting and doubles he's running into. Uh, And I think that he has long-term sustainability to hit for that slug. It's just a matter of what happens along the other way. And I, I know enough about this young man to know that he's not just committed to being the best power hitter he can be. He's committed to being the best baseball player he can be. And what we saw in the last couple of weeks at, at uh, Peoria in particular is we saw a kid who was using that that right field gap as a right-handed swinger a little bit more, shortening his swing a little bit more, pushing a ball over the second baseman's head a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more as he got more and more comfortable with that league, even if he was relatively old for it. Um, you know, uh, this is the first year that I've, I haven't put a lot of value into how old a guy is as compared to the league because of what 2020 was. Uh, That changes the whole dynamic to me. And sure, I would have loved to have seen him at Springfield and what he would have done. I wish he would have started at Peoria instead of Palm Beach. Uh, But we didn't get to live in that world. So all you can do is, you know, evaluate on what you see and what you're what you think a guy's capable of. And I got to tell you, I think Todd Lott is capable of some really amazing things. It's just a matter of if it'll manifest or not. Awesome. Okay. That, that, that makes me a little higher on him. I talked at the beginning of this podcast that uh, I'm not, you know, not as high on this group of five as, as maybe some of the others. And and that makes, that makes a lot of sense on Todd Lott and, and why you might have a bit more faith in him there. Cool. Um, the last guy on our list today is a pitcher that I did not write a lot about because I felt like your write-up did a great job of selling him on me. Um, or selling me on him, I should say. Selling me on him. Um, Wilfredo Pereira is a right-handed pitcher who he is, he will turn 23 this season in April. He is a guy who the Cardinals have had in their system since he was 17 years old back in 2016. He had a very good, not great, um, 17-year-old, age 17 season. He had a very good, not great, age 18 season. Uh, he had a very uh, brief, oh no, I guess, sorry, 2018, he was split between two rookie ball teams. And he had a good good partial season with the first and then a poor partial season with the second. And then 2019, he split time between rookie ball and A ball and had over 50 innings total and was 
lights out when it comes to ERA and, and, and his FIP was decent and his Ks per nine kept growing from where they were before and his walks per nine stayed low. And then this year in 2021, he was at high A, which was Peoria this year. And his one loss record wasn't great at three and eight, but he's a 22 year old who played in 29 games. He started 13 of them and threw 97 in the third innings. He struck out 28.2% of batters faced. Um, his walk rate was closer to six in 2019, but it jumped to almost 10 this year, which isn't great. But uh, literally in the notes for this, all I wrote about him was, you have absolutely sold me on Wilfredo Pereira, who comes in at 31 on your list. He's a guy with potentially three great pitches that can control them? Question mark. Awesome. That's all I have written. So tell us what you wrote about him and 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 sell people on him like you did me because he's a guy who you sold me enough that I might write him I might write up a projection on him for the 2022 season as a reliever because based on what you said he's a guy they should move quickly if they feel like he can't be a starter and should be a reliever that's what I want. I want them to be aggressive with him. Uh, I think starting him at Springfield and getting him to Memphis by the end of the, you know, by mid season, uh, if he can handle it is absolutely in the cards. Now, the other thing is he's rule five eligible. And unless he's an, added to the Memphis roster, which was just an arbitrary move, he can be taken in the, the, uh, AAA or the, the minor league phase of the rule five draft tomorrow. Uh, you know, we're, we are recording this on Tuesday. The draft is Wednesday, I think, right. Am I, uh, what is tomorrow's date? Is tomorrow the eighth? Tomorrow's uh, the eighth. All right. Yeah. So tomorrow, I think two is a minor league uh, uh, phase of the draft. So the Cardinals have to be really careful about that. We could be talking about another prospect who the Cardinals did something stupid with and is no longer a part of the organization. Uh, well, luckily, on. I'm not. I'm not going to have this out by the time the Rule Five draft is over, so they just won't hear us gush about them. Perfect. <laughs> just perfect. Um, <laughs> but no. So here, here's the deal: is I think by and large, he's probably a relief pitcher. He pitches almost exclusively out of the stretch now. Um, and I think that you can get him to the majors pretty quickly if he continues to be in, in a bullpen role. The, the thing that I love about him, it's really simple. He started the year in Peoria's bullpen and he was not good, but he like, that's most of his walks came at the beginning of the year. And at the end of the year, uh, he was not as good out of the bullpen, but he saved that Peoria, uh, uh, pitching, pardon me, pitching staff quite a few times early in the year, taking on some innings, taking on some innings. He got a start. He pitched four innings, and he was lights out. And they kept him in the rotation throughout the year. And until the end, when he fatigued out, he was a relatively reliable uh, a pitcher. I, you know, without looking at it, and I'm going to end up making a fool of myself, but, you know, I think if you were to – and again, it's selective. I, I know sometimes we end up being overly selective uh, with some of these kids. But I think if you take out, like, his last couple starts – I think you're talking about a guy who only walked yeah, like his, it changes greatly uh, his walk percentage. Like if you take out those last three or four starts, like it gets his walk percentage down a little bit or, or something like that. I, again, now I'm rambling and ranting. I, I don't even know what I'm saying, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it was, it was, he's a really good pitcher that throws a, a bowling ball diving arm side run two seamer with a changeup with mimicking motion of the two seamer and a really, really great slider that he can use and get away with throwing in all quadrants of the strike zone. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, Ben, as you know, like all of that is very important. Now, 
where he's going to need to work on is he's going to need to start throwing that changeup more against right-handers. He does not, they do not call that changeup against right-handers. And, and Ben, I'm almost certainly wrong about the walk thing now that I think about it. Uh, because the, <laughs> the walks in the middle, the, the beginning of the season change how the end of his season was. But um, um, yeah, so he just, he needs to throw that changeup and rely on that changeup more against righties than he has because he's way better against lefties than he is against righties. And that's because of how all of his stuff moves away from lefties. It, it's all tumbling heavy action, but it tumbles into righties and it works against him sometimes. Uh, well, you know, with that in mind, he doesn't ha- he doesn't let up like a lot of power. It's not like he has huge home run against numbers, uh, but the, the stuff is just so lively and so good that you can envision a situation with with him where he is a very, very valuable part of a major league bullpen and in the near future. Uh, it's just a matter of like what you what you view his long term starter potential as. And I honestly, because of the struggle that he has with the motion uh, uh, from a right hander. Uh, you know, the, the movement of his pitches from a right-hander, you know, maybe if he can work a cutter in or something like that, he just needs something different against righties for me to feel comfortable about for, for me to feel comfortable about forecasting him as a starter in the long term, uh, rather than a, a righty who can do some really interesting things out of a bullpen role. That, that's the difference between him being 31 on the list and being like 20th. Uh, because if, if he could get righties out a little bit better, um, as a right-handed thrower, by the way, this is, this is a reverse splits guy. I would feel more comfortable with falling in love with him the way that I have fallen in love with him because he's legitimately one of my favorite prospects in the organization. So legitimate question here. If he is a guy who can fall into trouble with those mechanics and and, and walk people in bunches occasionally, does that scream reliever to you if the three batter minimums there? Yeah, I mean, it still does. I know that that sounds crazy because, but it's, it goes back to everything that we we know about relief pitchers, right? Like we'll get to Freddie Pacheco here in a little bit. Spoiler, you know, spoiler. But there are days when Freddie Pacheco doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. And you know what? The three batter minimum sucks. Go on. Yeah, I was gonna say, and that's all pitchers. All pitchers will have those days where they don't have it. And you know what? It's even more so with relief pitchers because first off, they're getting used more, but because pitching out of relief is freaking tough. It is tough. And you know what? The more I talk to pitchers, the more I gain connections with minor league players, I'm beginning to understand just how tough it is. And it's, it's tougher than any of us know. And the way that those kids feel on a daily basis, the way that they have to grind and grind and grind, like the way that they wake up in the morning and, and the workout routines they have to put themselves through and the throwing programs they have to put themselves through and the exercise programs and the stretching programs they have to put themselves through. Uh, uh, it's tough. It is extremely tough. Uh, so, yes, I, I, what I think it comes down to is having a manager who's willing to step in and say, you know what, just because you're telling me you can throw, because you think you can throw, I know you can't because I watched what you did the night before. Uh, that's what we didn't have with Giovanni Gallegos. That's why Gallegos got in trouble in the middle of the year. Um, that is the difference. Now, do I think he's going to be Giovanni Gallegos? No, I honestly don't. I view this, I view Wilfredo Pereira as just a really great middle reliever. Uh, you know, a guy who could clean up a couple, two, three innings here and there, or a guy who might be able to come in and, and get a tough out. Uh, I, he, he's not a closer. He's not a fireman. He's nothing like that. He's just a really great, long, maybe maybe handful of years um, middle middle reliever, more than likely, with a potential, with an upside that's higher. Pardon me, higher than that. 
And if you could get that out of every prospect pitcher who was ranked 25 to 45 in your system, you would never have to go to free agency for relievers again in your life. So awesome for him. Um, That also leads me to believe based on what you've talked to with prospects about the whole uh, relieving sucks thing. um, We'll talk about this at a later date, but piggyback starters. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, Kyle, we talked about five guys. We talked about Alec Willis. We talked about Dianis Rodriguez. We talked about Connor Cable, Todd Lott, and Wilfredo Pereira. Did you have anything that you think you missed out on before we end this episode? I realized I forgot to do that last episode of giving you one last chance to say anything about those guys. No, Ben, the one thing I'll say, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Um, you had mentioned that the, and again, I don't, I say things and I don't realize how terse it sounds when I say it. So I don't, I don't mean this with any malicious intent or vulgarity, but you mentioned that, uh, the Cardinal nation, uh, picked Todd Lott as their, um, emerging hitter. Yeah. Well, the kid that we're going to probably going to start with, no, I take it back. The next two kids that we're going to start the next podcast with, I think have a better claim to emerging hitter than than Todd Lott does. Specifically, the second kid we'll go over. Um, but uh, while we're talking about the Cardinal Nation, if you guys don't subscribe to the Cardinal Nation, you should. Uh, Brian Walton is an amazing human being that has been kinder to me than I should ever deserve. And uh, I, I am grateful for his kindness when maybe I didn't, uh, I, I didn't extend that to him when I first started running my mouth like a dickhead. Um, but uh, anyways, subscribe to the Cardinal Nation because every prospect resource is important. Brian is keyed in with with Gary LaRock and other players in the organization or other people in the important people in the organization. He gets a lot of his information from there, and uh, uh, you know you, you you know support them. It's a relatively. I, I mean, I don't know how much it is a month, but uh, it's. I would assume it's affordable. And uh, Brian deserves your support and he does great stuff with prospects and he gets down to spring training where I can. He gets down to minor league spring training where I can. He gets down to the backfields and the Florida complex leagues where I can't and uh, just support him, support all these people. And uh, one more time, if I can prospects live, they're, they're awesome people. Matt Thompson. I love uh, uh, Joe Drake. I love uh, 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 Trevor Huth is an awesome dude. Um you know, uh, they're Jeff Pontus, who's at, at uh, uh, Baseball America. They're all awesome people. It's just an awesome community. Uh, and then, of course, shout out to Rasball for no reason at all. I just love that guy. <laughs> so um, thank you, Kyle, for kind of rounding out our episode. We kind of started uh, about a third of the way through the episode talking about these other sites and talking about how the baseball scouting community kind of kind of is a close knit family. And and um, at least if you choose to make it that. And, and I think Kyle has over the last few years and, and I'm trying to and, and I'm seeing what I can do there. Um, Kyle kind of gave a teaser for last episode with two emerging hitters. Um, the one that he mentioned last, I'm not going to give a name, but the one that he mentioned of that he thinks might be the emerging hitter in the organization was one that's interesting because I remember seeing early in the year just uh, when Kyle w- started gifting a lot on Twitter this season, like I kept looking at it going, man, 
this guy must be the best player in the organization because every other gift seemed to be about this kid. And now Kyle's saying, well, he might be the most emerging guy. Um, so that's going to make a lot of sense uh, once you hear his name, I think, if you've been filing, following Kyle all season. Uh, I, I think the next list, just to give a little preview, is a list that has a lot higher upside no. than the list we currently went over. And maybe it was that Maybe it wasn't that I wasn't liking this list as much as, or excited about this list as much as the others, but I felt like the 36 to 40 list that we covered in episode one had a bunch of upside. I feel like the, I'm looking now, the 26 through 30 list that we will talk about on episode three also has a bunch of upside. This list, I think you can find the upside if you want to. I think there are two or three guys on the list we talked about tonight that could have major league careers. Um, I think I was selling, um, oh my gosh, no, I'm going to forget his name that you said. Um, Dinas Rodriguez. I think I was selling Dinas Rodriguez a little bit short um, in my own mind. And Kyle kind of maybe set me straight on that a little bit. And uh, and so hopefully, not only was I wrong on that, hopefully, hopefully this list came across to you with a little more excitement than I showed at the beginning of the episode. But I think that also leads into how excited you should be for episode three. So please tune in next time. Kyle, thank you for joining. Uh, And for words on the black, for Kyle, for myself, have a wonderful evening and we will see you for episode three here soon.